you found 1 Corinthians 15? All right. The text we're going to look at is going to begin in verse 1. Here's the word of Almighty God, friends. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now skip down to 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and that is coming, those who belong to Christ. Pray with me again, friends. Lord, we would just ask you, please add your blessing to our study of your holy word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, today is a day of celebration. Would you agree with that? This is the day in which we as the people of God remember with joy the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is not a single more important day on the Christian calendar. This is Resurrection Sunday, and we're here to remember and to worship the risen Savior. The passage we read there was written by a man named Paul. You guys have probably heard of Paul before. Originally, Paul was one of the biggest opponents of Christianity in the known world. Paul hated Christians. He had them imprisoned. He had them executed. But something happened in Paul's life that convinced Paul that Jesus is really the promised Savior sent from God. And what is it? This section of the Bible shows us. So today, I'm going to give you three quick points as we look at the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you guys might have these points written down in your Bibles from a few years ago. We kind of tinkered with this passage a few years ago as well, but this will be a little bit different and a little bit shorter. So our first point today. Hold on to your faith in Jesus's resurrection. Hold on to your faith in Jesus's resurrection. That's going to be verses one and two. 
Bible says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So as we get started, we see that Paul, a former doubter of Christianity, wants to remind his readers of the gospel. Now, what's the word gospel mean? You guys know, right? What is it? Good news. Gospel is good news. Paul believes that he knows some very, very helpful, very wonderful news that everybody in the world needs to know and they need to think about. Remembering the gospel, friends, is a sign that the belief you have is real. Verse 2, Paul says, They are saved by the gospel, which means they're rescued from danger before God by this good news. And he says, This is true if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Holding fast, clinging with all your might to the truth of the gospel is a proof that your belief is not in vain. Why would it mean to believe in vain? It would mean that you have a false faith that is empty, that's meaningless, that does not save you. You don't want that kind of faith. And that's why I would say to you the first point that you should gain from this passage of Scripture, which fits exactly the words of the Apostle, is that you should hold fast to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. This entire chapter, it's about Jesus, it's about him rising from the dead, and if you have believed in the gospel, you must hold tight to the truth that Jesus is, was not just alive 2,000 years ago, but that Jesus Christ is alive today. The very Jesus that we read about in the Bible is physically, bodily, breathing alive today. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If you do believe in Jesus' resurrection as a figurative thing, if you think of it as just sort of a, a dreamy thing, a mystical thing, a symbolical thing, if you think Jesus only lives in people's minds and hearts, but he's not alive physically today, then you have not believed the gospel. The faith you claim is what Paul says is vain or empty, and that won't save your soul from the judgment of God. So if you're a Christian, and most of you I think who would come to the park and hang with us today are probably Christians. If you're a Christian, hold on tight to your faith that Jesus is alive. But it may be that you're hearing this somehow and you're not a believer. Or maybe you are a believer, but the belief that you have feels a little bit shaky. If so, you might find the logical evidence that we're going to get in the next few verses helpful. So first, hold fast, cling tight. To your belief in Jesus' resurrection. But now point number two, be encouraged by the testimonies about Jesus' resurrection. Be encouraged by the testimonies about Jesus' resurrection. Look at verses three and four. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I want you to imagine the boldness of Paul to tell the whole watching world that there's one fact, one basic truth, that if this thing is false, all of the faith is false along with it. Can you imagine being bold enough to 
give an aggressively anti-Christian world the weapon they would need. If you can make this be true, the faith falls apart. That's gutsy. But here's the thing. If this fact is in fact true, it proves Christianity's claims to be true. And that's where we go in today's next section. Paul says he delivered to the Corinthians what he himself received. Paul didn't make it up. He did not concoct this message on his own. Paul is telling them the truth that he received from somebody more important, somebody higher ranking than himself. And what is it that is of first importance? It is the truth that Jesus died, buried, and was raised to life. It's the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that follow. Things you've got to know. Jesus the Christ genuinely, really, truly, physically died on the cross at Calvary. He was actually buried in a borrowed tomb. His dead body laid in the grave over the three days of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And at those, on that third day, Jesus truly, physically, bodily, literally, actually, however you want to say it, got up and walked out of the tomb alive after having been dead. And Jesus Christ is alive today. That's what Paul is going to tell you is of utmost importance to every single believer. You know, one glorious thing about the death of Jesus is that it wasn't the final act of his life. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Jesus died on the cross. That's a fact. Nobody rational questions that. No rational thinking, studying, honest human being questions that Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary. Why? Well, Roman soldiers were actually pretty good at carrying out executions. They did not execute the wrong guy. And they did not fail to make sure that the guy that they executed actually was dead. They were good at making sure you were really gone before they took you down. But what's more exciting than the death of Jesus is the fact that he rose from the grave. Paul says Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, all of these are in accord with Scripture. Paul tells you two times in three verses this was predicted by the Scriptures. That's important to Paul. You know, nothing is going to be a stronger standard of truth for you or me than the Word of God. We believe the Bible. We believe it's true. We believe it tells us the truth. Even for a non-Christian, the idea that the Bible would predict Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection hundreds of years before it took place, that should add a lot of weight to this testimony from God. So first understand that the witness of the Scriptures... To Jesus' resurrection, that is one testimony that Jesus really rose from the dead. The Bible promised it, then it told us how it happened. But then look at verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So Jesus' death and resurrection, they're not just predicted by the Bible. They were witnessed by, it says, Cephas, that's also Peter, and the twelve disciples. Why does Paul specifically include Peter? I would guess because Peter had a pretty special encounter with Jesus after he came back from the grave. Remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times the night before he was crucified. Jesus singled Peter out when he came out of the grave and said, Hey, do you still love me? And then he gave gave Peter a mission. Feed my sheep. 
But all 12 of the disciples, which includes Matthias, the replacement for Judas, all 12 of them experienced personally being in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Now, a skeptic might say, well, of course, of course, the most likely group to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead is the disciples. And that almost makes sense. Don't you love it when they almost make sense? It almost makes sense. But this group didn't just say that the resurrection of Jesus was true. This group gave their lives for that belief. It is extremely unlikely that you could get even a group of three men to perpetuate a lie and then die for that lie. How are you going to get 12 men, 12 men to willingly keep telling the same story and then to go to execution, never denying that story? There's only really one logical explanation. There are 12 men. Those 12 men showed themselves that they would run away from danger in the garden, right? They were scared. When Jesus was in the grave, they hid. They locked themselves in the upper room. They didn't want anybody to find them. They were scared of the soldiers. But something changed in these men so that they would stand up, walk all around the world that they, were, that they lived in at the time. They would preach that Jesus was alive. They would go to the grave, commit, never ever changing their story, saying Jesus is alive. Why would they do that? Because they were convinced it was true. They saw the risen Jesus. And once they met the risen Jesus, nothing, not even the threat of death, could make them turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Jesus did not just appear to the disciples once he you know, came back. He didn't just, just appear to the guys that were his inner circle once he came out of the grave. Paul tells us here that he appeared to a crowd of more than 500 people at one time. And Paul says to you, hey, most of that group is still alive. Write down, when I'm writing this down, you people in Corinth could go find them. It's like it's a challenge to the skeptic. You want to know who saw Jesus alive after he was dead? Here's a crowd of more than 500 folks. Go ask them and you're going to see that the story here is true. That's a bold claim by Paul. I mean, if his story was false, it could have easily been disproved. Anybody could have gone and found the crowd and asked them questions. They could have found Paul out to be a liar, but nobody did. Paul's story stood. It was never discredited. Why? Because it's true. One major key to evidence in any court of law is when the evidence is corroborated by many eyewitnesses. If more than 500 people saw a thing happen, you might guess that's a pretty strong indication that it's true. Now, again, there are cases around our world where maybe a couple people mistakenly report a story to the authorities. But when you got 500 folks and they all saw the risen Jesus, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's not perfect proof, but that this many people saw Jesus alive after he rose from the grave, that is a solid bit of evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is true. Now, look at 7 through 11. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. The last section here, proofs of the resurrection. This is what you could line up as. This is the testimony of formerly hostile witnesses. James, who's this James? This is not James of the disciples, James, that he appeared to. This would have been James, the half-brother of Jesus. What do you know about the half-brothers of Jesus? They grew up in the same home. They, they, they shared the same mom. Mary was James's mom. But James didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry. If you remember your Bibles, you remember that during Jesus' earthly ministry, James kept telling Jesus, hey, you're, you're kind of being a little too loud. You're being a little too public. Maybe you should come home for a little while. I think you've kind of gone off the deep end. That's how James thought of Jesus. So if James was ever convinced that Jesus was alive, he wasn't convinced, of, if he was convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh, the Savior, the Christ, he was not convinced during Jesus's three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry. Now, I want you to seriously consider this point. This might be a good one for the Bridges children to think about. James was Jesus' half-brother. So here's what I want to know. What would it take to make you believe that one of your relatives is God in the flesh and the Savior of the world? Anybody got a sibling they want to put forward as a possibly... Uh, the right one for that? Like, I know my brothers. It would take a lot to convince me that one of them was deity. I think they would believe it of me quicker. Maybe not. Maybe not. What would it take you to believe that a relative is divine? It's got to be something pretty special, doesn't it? That James, who did not believe in Jesus, suddenly followed Jesus can only mean that James experienced a personal encounter with the resurrected, risen from the grave, and alive again, Lord Jesus. But who's the most skeptical witness Paul has for us? The, the most skeptical witness he brings to the stand to testify of Jesus' resurrection is Paul himself. Paul said, Jesus appeared to me personally. He said, I saw Jesus while I was more than a skeptic. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was, was like one born dead. He should have believed in Jesus, but he began his entire life career by killing Christians. And what did God do? God graciously saved Paul. He changed the entire direction of Paul's life. Here's an argument from logic. Paul was rising in the ranks of Judaism. He was becoming more popular. He was becoming more in demand. He was probably about to be a conference speaker. He probably was going to get a book deal because he was persecuting Christians and the Jews around him loved it. What in the world would make a man turn away from his fellow Jewish teachers and become an outcast? What could possibly make him leave the Jews and join the group that he'd been trying to kill? Paul had to know that Christians were not going to trust him. Paul had to know that he was going to have to spend a long time proving himself 
Why would any man risk that? It would appear that Paul has everything to lose and nothing to gain in, by turning away from Judaism to Christianity. And the only possible logical explanation is that Paul really did see the risen Christ. And Paul realized he had been wrong. The only way Paul is going to stop arresting followers in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus is if this testimony is true and Paul encountered the risen Lord Jesus. So do you see the logic here, guys? We got Paul. We got James. We got the disciples. We got a crowd of 500. And we have the Bible. And all of these things bear witness to the very same thing. Jesus God the Son died and rose again. Paul and the apostles preached it. The Corinthians had already believed it. There is genuine evidence for the resurrection. And thinking people trusted it back when it was fresh. Here we are, it's 2,000 years removed from all this eyewitness testimony. Can I be frank with you? If these testimonies could have been refuted... 2,000 years ago, they would have been. Don't you think? But if they couldn't be refuted then, you certainly are not going to be able to produce evidence to refute them today. The only logical alternative we've got, if you're going to be a thinking person, is to let the testimony of the Bible, the disciples, the crowds, Peter, James, Paul, let these things convince you by the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ is risen, and He's your only hope. And if you are already a believer, this part right here should have helped strengthen your grasp as you cling to your belief in the resurrection. This is good. Let it do what it was intended to do. All right, one more point. Let's think quickly here about what the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus accomplished for every single person who comes to him in faith. And that's point number three. Rejoice in the results of the resurrection. Rejoice in the results of the resurrection. I'm going to go down to 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Paul's clear here, folks. If Jesus did not come out of his grave, if the body of Jesus is still in a grave somewhere, everything we preach and everything we hope in is absolutely useless. If Jesus is still dead, we have no hope for eternity. Why is that true? The Bible tells us Jesus lived a truly perfect life. He fulfilled God's demand for perfect obedience. The, the, the command Adam should have obeyed to perfectly obey God, nobody else ever has. Jesus did. 
We couldn't fulfill that command. Then Jesus died as a substitute and a sacrifice. He took upon his infinitely worthy shoulders the debt we owe to God for sinning against him. We could never have paid that debt. You know, you could spend forever in hell and you could never pay the price for your own sin. But, and this is the point, if Jesus had then stayed in the grave, we would have known that the perfect life and the sacrificial death of Jesus were not enough. Jesus coming out of the grave proves that his life and his death were enough to satisfy the demand of God on our lives. His resurrection proves that we can be forgiven by God. And His resurrection promises us that even if we die in this life, if we have faith in Jesus, we live forever, eternally with God. Look down toward the end of the chapter at verse 50. What happens if you die and you're a Christian? I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood, not the way it is anyway, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Don't you look forward to a day when this body that falls apart is changed into one that won't? The last verse of this chapter tells us exactly what I want you to come away with from the sermon here. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, last verse says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says, I want you, because Jesus has risen from the grave, I want you to have hope because of that resurrection. I want you to have hope because of what Jesus promises. Have hope because of the fact that Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, you can know that if you trust in him, you will not die and stay dead. You will rise one day and meet Jesus and be with Jesus forever in glory with a brand new body that will never fall apart. And you will eternally be rewarded in Christ and your your life matters because of it. If our life just happened now and then went to nothing. It's hard to say that it would matter. But if we have a life that God says, I will bring it out of the grave, I will give you life forever with me in glory. You have a life that means something forever. And it's all because of the finished work of Jesus. If we live for 70 years on earth and nothing followed, who cares? Have you all ever realized that no matter how many Ancestry.com commercials there are, ain't nobody really remembers who's gone before? Most of you could name grandma, maybe back to great-grandma, but great-great-grandma would cause you trouble. And almost none of you has any idea what your great-great-uncle did for a living. 
And you know what? Most of you don't care one bit. And that'll be true of the people who come after you if the Lord lets this world keep going on. They're not going to care about our lives, most of us. Most of our names aren't making the history books. Besides, they change the history books all the time anyway. But if there is a real resurrection of the dead to come, and there is, then we have hope that our lives here matter. What you do in life will actually have an impact on forever. What you do today, what you do tomorrow, it's going to ring in eternity. That's good news, guys. It's not because you're super big and super special. It's because of Jesus, but it gives your life meaning and hope. You can believe that your, your lives, your days, your sufferings, your pains, your joys, they matter. And we find hope in these things because Jesus came out of the grave. And he promises us we will too. That's how we find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. The wrath of God has been satisfied. The price for sin has been paid. And we who have placed our faith in Jesus share with Jesus in a glorious eternity. Listen, friends, I would invite anybody who doesn't know Jesus, anybody who doesn't know God yet and have life with him forever, I want to invite you to find your life and your hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Put your hope for your forever in the fact that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That Jesus died to pay for our sinning against God. And Jesus rose again. That Jesus is alive today. And what you do is you ask Jesus, Jesus, please have mercy on me. Decide that you will follow Jesus he will forgive you, he'll change you, and he will give you hope forever. Just as Jesus rose from the grave to live forever, he gives you life forever in perfect joy if you turn from sin and self and rest in Jesus and his perfect sacrifice for your sins. Guys, it is Resurrection Sunday, and it's a good, good day. Because Jesus is alive we can hope in our, in his, that our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is alive, we can hope that something that we do in this life may actually matter. Because Jesus is alive, it can be well with our souls. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, again, we bow and we just say this. We acknowledge Jesus is God in flesh who lived a perfect life who died to pay the price for our sins, who rose from the grave and is alive right now. Our only hope, God, for forgiveness is in Jesus and what he's done. And our prayer, Lord, our prayer, is that you would, in fact, give us life in Christ because he did what we could never do. If our hope is in anything else, Lord, our hope is empty and meaningless. I pray for everybody who hears this and doesn't know you, that they will be drawn to Jesus, that they will surrender their lives and trust in you. And I pray, Lord, for everyone who does know you here, I pray that we will have greater courage and greater hope in the resurrection of our Savior. We worship you, Lord, this day. It's not because we're good that we can do it. It's only in the name of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.